This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast in which we tell you about the latest books and recommend you new reads. I'm Olivia Ho and I'm here today with my co-host. Hi, I'm Winley. And today we've got two lovely liquid books about dreaming in the city for you. The first of them is Cyril Wong's Oneros, a poetry collection that was first printed in 2010 and has since been put out in a lovely new edition by Math Paper Press. The second is the debut novel by Pichaya Subantat, Bangkok Wakes to Rain. Such a beautiful, evocative title, don't you think, Winnie? I think so, and I think it's really topical as well. I mean, given how you know Bangkok has been making the headlines for being prone to flooding, a city prone to flooding, um, there was, I mean, there were the the 2011 floods, which did great damage to the country. And, and also um, recently um, in, in news articles, you've been reading about how Bangkok has been sinking, land subsidence going on. And at the same time, sea levels are rising and experts think that um, the city could well be underwater in 15 years' time. So it, it's really no joke. And, and So in fact, that does happen in the, in the book, doesn't it? Um, we end up in, with this future in which uh, Bangkok is uh, entirely flooded. Of course, the book skips through time. It begins sort of in the 19th century, and then uh, we move through various periods, through the 1970s, student protests, uh, the modern day, and finally into this po- post-apocalyptic future in which uh, buildings are just falling randomly every Every day, and these small mm. children ferry uh, tourists, or rather people who used to live in the city but um, have since been displaced, and they sort of ferry them uh, through the flooded waterways and to look at places where they used to live and um, cry about it. And at the same time, it's all sort of focused on this one house in the city, heart of the city, uh, which is eventually torn down and replaced by a condominium. And uh, this cast of characters just moves through this space across time. And this is one scene where um, the city has already flooded. So it, they're describing um, the scene of flooding. The water was far away until it wasn't. Some found that the flood management system did not equally favor neighborhoods near its waterways, sparing one but letting lakes be made of others. There were whispers of so-and-so influential persons diverting the water to flood otherwise safe homes to save their own. At more than a few floodgates, rioting crowds reopened the sluice and flooded the neighbours to correct unequal fortunes. There were public apologies and heated debates on nighttime talk shows. Angry swarms favoured scathing postings. Who would be held responsible for this catastrophe? After the previous floods, why wasn't the flood management plan more robust? As more of the water swelled into the city, supposed photos of crocodile sightings began to appear on network feeds. A crocodile farm outside the city was said to have been flooded, and escapees were leisurely swimming everywhere. Reports told of creatures darting out of the water to snatch abandoned pets and strays. A man claimed the crocodile leapt out of the water in an attempt to devour him as he stood peeing into the water outside his bedroom window. Children were disappearing mid-swim in flooded streets. Some swore, and the tale spread of a heroic woman who managed to wrestle a dropped phone from the jaws of one ferocious beast comical but catastrophe. <laughs> Crocodiles leisurely swimming yeah, in the flood well, you know, water. Well, people, people are peeing into the hen and whoops, gone. Oops. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's one scene, I mean, obviously the, the whole idea of Bangkok um, being at risk of flooding is, is a major thing in the book. The idea of floodwaters being this force of nature, um, they do violence to the city. But on the other hand, I mean, there's, there's one scene where a character called Ni, um, um, she, she gets um, involved in, in some 
riot um, that's happening, and and um, she survives by jumping into the water, and mm. that's how she escapes. So yes, I, I think um, Pichia does try to explore this the motif of water from from different angles. You no, know, and he, um, I mean, a lot of the words. Um, and images in this book have um, watery connotations, even when it comes down to you know the swear words, um, the Thai swear words um, that he uses in the book, which I will not repeat here. Um, they have watery connotations too. So the, the words um, "water lizard" and "water buffalo" these are both swear words in, in Thai. So I think he, he does try to very deftly weave all these into the fabric of the book, um, whether or not it sounds contrived or not. Um, maybe it does on a certain level, but I think. Um, it is a clever piece of work, and it's and it's so elegiac, it's so poetic, it's sensitively written. So I think, I think he can be forgiven for trying to, you know, um, make everything fit fit together just right in that sense. Well, I think the book is fairly long. I think it it could it could have done with more trimming. It could have been a bit more tightly edited. I, I think it's got this sense of bagginess to it, which which isn't a bad thing. Um, because he talks about issues which are so organic and and almost haphazard, chaotic, scattered across time. So it's almost befitting that it should be not too tightly woven together. But yes, I mean, I, I mean, I do feel there there is a looseness to it, um, which some people might um, might not be as sympathetic to. Um, I, I think the idea of anchoring all these events in one place in time, I think that's that's an interesting idea. Um, and it's interesting to, to I guess, look at how this old home was eventually replaced by a condominium, especially when you bear in mind the fact that um, the land, the, the, um, the subsidence of the land, the sinking of the land in, in, in Thailand is also um, partially the result of um, skyscrapers weighing down on the land. So I don't know if, if he was trying to allude to that in some way. Yes, a very atmospheric read. I recommend you do so while um, sitting next to the window when it's raining. Very, very evocative. You can almost smell the rain in the book. Speaking of evocative, dreamy work, let's move on to Cyril Wong's Oneros. Oneros, um, which actually means, um, I think in, in Greek mythology, it refers, to, it refers to the personification of a dream. So Cyril Wong is um, a Singapore Literature Prize winning poet. And in this collection, um, we have um, a gathering of untitled poems which explore the idea of dream. So Cyril is well known for this very uh, confessional, some might say angsty um, brand of poetry. He's got um, a lot of collections uh, on Eros's, I think, for 2010. Uh, but this is a reprint, and it's got this um, very interesting cover with a lot of little people swimming on it, and swimming and floating, swimming and floating in the in the dream time. I think it is a bit different from his other work, um, which um, I think when when we were all growing up, a lot of a lot of the emo kids in school would read his poetry, really connect it with them. Uh, this is a bit more oniric, if I may <laughs> use the term. It's um, it points. It's quite phantasmagoric. It's like a gallery of dreams and nightmares, and uh, he the first the first poem he describes uh, going into the dream as sort of going down into the archaeology of the self, uh, which is a sort of metaphor that reminds me of that scene in Inception where they're in mm. the dream and there's a house with the elevator in it, and you're just going through the different levels of the psyche. 
So yes. in Wong's uh, first poem, it's uh, he goes the first they go down to the level where he's lying to himself, and it's uh, that he goes further down to the level where everything is on fire and the smoke is you know smoke is sort of trickling up to the upper levels, and you go down deeper and deeper into the subconscious. Indeed, I think actually in both these in both of these books, um, I I mean I don't know if. If they were drawing on, you know, the idea of poetics of space, you know, um, the tradition of Gaston, Boschela, the, the mm. idea of rooting dreams and oniric fantasies in architecture. Yeah, so dream cities feature quite heavily in the, in this book. I'm going to read uh, my favorite part, which we will have to censor slightly because there is some profanity and we cannot say that on air. Under the city is a dream of the real city that I long to wake up from. On its streets, cars smash into each other and the aged are run down for looking like death. Everyone yells at each other in public to mind their own business. But beyond this dream, there is another dream. And if I sleep for long enough, I am there. Where no one honks on the road and everyone walks so slowly, it looks like a camera trick. Where we could hold hands or kiss in public if we like. Of horse in the center of a busy mall, lower our heads and forgive ourselves. We would no longer have to take our hurt too seriously, and the sidewalks would be full of people tilting their faces to sip the last of the retreating sun. It's got a beautiful ending. Yes. Tilting your heads to sip the last of the retreating sun. I think it encapsulates so much of what I feel about Singapore a lot of the time, that, you know, somewhere below this very tidy orderly surface is this nightmare of you know of people so eager to hate one another and be negative and intolerant and that bubbling anger and then you want to you want to be able to move to that even deeper level the quiet city the people who can forgive one another who can you know where you can be together in peace and and even that's two dreams removed from yeah that's two, like, <laughs> two levels down as you would say in inception yeah. uh yeah but that that image has always stuck with me from when i read that poem year, years ago and i'm so happy to see it again here Yes, and I'm going to read out. Um, I'm going to refer to one of the poems I really liked as well. I'm not going to read it. Out. I'm not going to read out everything because it's got 59 lines. Um, but this is um, a poem where every single line ends with the word "dream time." First came the word they said, then came the dream time. That might have already been the dream time. It is not clear if we have already left the dream time. When truth proves too jagged, we run and live in the dream time. The city floats like a lantern on the lake of the dream time. I leave the city and swim further into the dream time. I'm wandering lonely as a princess of the dream time. Jack and Bill reach for each other in the dream time. The prince and the dwarves make an orgy of the dream time. Then I am a witch, a mermaid and a fairy in the dream time. I am never myself when I'm in the dream time. I have never been more myself than in the dream time. The police stopped to ask where I was going in the dream time. To the ends of me, I said, which is possible in the dream time. I think it's interesting because when you think of a dream, it's often very nebulous. It's airy. Mm, it's not confined to any one space. But in this in this poem, he keeps running against almost an invisible wall of dream time, dream time, dream time. And do we progress from here or do we just keep... It's almost as if the interiority of um, architecture has been translated into this into the into the landscape of a dream so even in his dreams you know he can't move on 
Mm. I, I wonder if that. So it's almost like a, a very abstract mental block in the in this dreamscape that he's in. And and what interests me is also this um, this reference to alternative endings of books which play out in the dream time. Um, in this poem, there are no alternative endings. Still, end with dream time. So it's it's very self conscious, and I think it's perhaps a way of exploring this idea of interiority within that dream time. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was it was quite. I mean, it, it's one of the the poems in this collection which which left a, a pretty deep impression on me. And of course, he refers to other poetic figures like Anne Sexton. Yes, who is a confessional poet. Yeah. So in in that poem, he and Anne Sexton are sitting in 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 a car which carbon monoxide is filling up, and she wants him to come with her, but he says that he still has people. You know, he he can't leave, and she says, "Well, lucky for them." <laughs> And of course, the other、um, poet that he refers to is、uh, Farok Farokzad, the Iranian poet who also died tragically young in a car crash.、Uh, and here he refers to her cheerless walk in the garden of memories, and you know, in in a way that that is sort of the poem. I mean, the poems of this book are also a cheerless walk through the garden of his <laughs> dreams. You know, if we assume it to be confessional. So, is this kind of Trying to trying to pass yourself through the subconscious,、uh, trying to grasp who you are, and either you run into walls or you just、uh, find yourself sitting alone in the middle of no- this national stadium. Yeah, and like one way he describes the soul settling down when the body is asleep as being like sitting by yourself in an empty coffee shop with dipping,、mm. and, and he's come to terms with his loneliness. Yes,、yeah, so for all、um, you people out there looking for something to read this month,、um, you can dip into Cyril Wong's Oneiros collection of poems, as well as Pichiasut Bantat's Bangkok Wakes to Rain. So that's all from me, and bye for now, and we'll see you next time. That was an SBH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sbh dot com dot sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes dot com and bt dot sg.